So today, we want to continue with the thought, a new year is here. What are we going to do with it, right? I mean, it's 2020. We have made the observation, many of you already have, uh, that 2020 is about vision, about seeing better. And we've said already that we believe our vision is best served when we are looking for God. And we do believe that the Bible promises if we will take the time to look, we will see God. We certainly will not see if we do not look. That was the lesson of the wise men as we celebrated Epiphany last Sunday. Now, we here are referred to as Pathways Church. We chose that name in part because we understand life as a spiritual journey. And the Bible itself paints a picture. It's not the only picture the Bible paints, but it's one of the pictures, a a pretty clear one, of a pathway to God that involves steps along a journey. And in particular, we talk about how one way of understanding our journey toward God can be encapsulated in four words, seek, find, know, and love. If you seek God, you will find Him. If you find Him and get to know Him as He truly is, then you will love Him. And that is the fulfillment of what God has created us to be, is to know and to love Him. The Bible even says Jesus Himself said that the greatest commandments were to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others as ourselves. Those are the most important two things anybody can do. So that's a part of the journey, seeking God, finding Him, coming to know Him, and loving Him. And personally, I have come to believe that those first two steps, seeking and finding, are greatly influenced by the simple decision of whether or not we are even looking at all whether we can recognize God and God at work when we see it. So my goal, you set out some goals for 2020? I did. And my goal, uh, one of my goals as a pastor in 2020 is to help you grow in vision. Being able to help you see God even more in your day-to-day life. Being able to spot Him at work, in and around and through you. Being able to see Him as He truly is in all of His glory, as the mighty yet humble Son of God, as the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because at the end of the day, if we can see God that way, if we can see Him as He truly is, that will cause us to honor Him, to worship Him as Savior and Redeemer and as Master and as Guide of our lives. Now, can we begin today with some brutal honesty? I'm going to provide some for you right now. Whether you take it as good or bad news, it's kind of up to you. But, but here's the reality, the brutal, honest truth. A growing and deepening life with God never happens accidentally. As a matter of fact, it doesn't happen 
incidentally very much. That just kind of means that as an act, almost as an accident as you go along, incidents in your life make it happen. That's not how it happens. It happens intentionally. If you want to grow with God this year, if you want to grow deeper with Him, grow closer to Him, be more empowered by Him, be more useful to Him, to know Him more, to love Him more, it will require intentionality and, frankly, no small amount of intensity. Why would I say that? Because the Bible says it. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me. Remember we said the first two steps, seek and find? The Bible says, you will seek me and you will find me when? When you search for me, that's an intentional action, with all your heart, that's an intensity level. You will seek me and find me. That's from Jeremiah Folks, if you want to look that verse up, I'll let you look it up later. But that's a very important verse. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, you need to get the message of that because sometimes we hear the verse. What does that really mean for us? Here's what it, one of the things it means. The spiritual strength, the spiritual power of a church is not dependent just on its pastors and its elders or just its prayer team or just its deacons or just of this or just of that. These different pieces that make up part of the body of Christ. Actually, it is when the people, all the people who make up this local body of the body of Jesus Christ, this local church, when all the people decide whether or not to engage in searching, to engage in finding, and looking for God with all their heart, that's what determines the spiritual power of a church. If you think it's about the next great hire as a pastor or the next great musician that's going to lead us in such a way that everybody, oh, if we just had that gal from Australia, if we just had that guy from New York, if we just brought in the right guest musicians, if we had that preacher from Texas, if we had this thing over here, if we had this thing, no. It is about whether the people who make up the body have a passion in their hearts to seek God because you will seek me and find me, God says, when you search for me with all your hearts. So my calling as a pastor, the calling of our small group leaders and our Sunday school teachers is primarily to kind of fan the flame. You know, when you get that little fire going, you're trying to get oxygen to it, you blow gently, not so much that you blow the fire out, but just to make sure it's getting the oxygen it needs to fan the flames. That's our job, to help searchers along the pathway, to remind us all, while at one level, we are all on individual journeys with God. It is also true that we are on a journey together as a community, together with one another. As our church says in its vision statement, walking together with Jesus to change lives. It's, it's an individual and it is a community piece. So, with all that said as kind of a background, we're laying some groundwork for the next several weeks as we study together in a new series, Make Space. Why are we talking about that? Because with the new year, happy to have a new year. 
fresh start. Inevitably, one of the things that happens in January of the new year are the bills from December, right? That's the way credit cards work. And, and what happens sometimes, I think, uh, kind of a symbolic would be, uh, we're trying to get off to a roaring start in the new year, only to find that we're spinning our wheels, we're stuck in the mud because of decisions and debts and expenses and things that we got into in December. That, so we're kind of stuck. Another way of saying it is the old proverb, we can't see the forest for the trees. We're so close, we're so overwhelmed by stuff, we can't really make out the big the big picture, because it's this problem, and it's this problem, and it's this one thing, but you put a bunch of trees together, but you can't see the forest. Another way of saying, I can't see anything clearly, because there's so much stuff right in front of my face. We need to make space. We need space to look for God, to see God, to find God, to engage God in what He is doing. Now, these holidays we've just come through, big part of the holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas, travel. Anybody take an airplane journey from Thanksgiving to Christmas? Anybody fly anywhere? Raise your hands. Yeah, a bunch of you. Uh, all right, next question. Did anybody get stuck in a middle seat? Raise your hand. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Can, can I just tell you, can I just tell you, I get the heebie-jeebies just thinking about the middle seat on an airplane. I mean, when I get into the, when I know I'm going to have to sit in the middle seat, oh my goodness, I, it, it almost gives, I don't suffer from claustrophobia, but the idea of being in the middle seat, it makes me feel trapped. It makes me feel stuck because I've got this person over here on the window side. I don't want to, you know, squish them too much, you know, in and make them feel like I'm, you know, kind of crushing them between me and the airplane. This person on, on, on this side, you know, uh, who gets to use the armrest? I, I just don't like the whole question of it. I, I should be flying first class, but I don't have that kind of money. So, and, and when that person on the left wants to get out and they have to climb over me, let me just tell you, when you're six foot two, your knees are rubbing the metal frame of the seat. There, there, there's not a half inch gap. There's not an inch gap. There is no gap. Your, your knees are hitting the seat in front of you. It's very uncomfortable. I just feel trapped. If I have to get out, well, you might have noticed I'm not a small individual. So the person who's sitting in the aisle seat for, for me to, I, it's, just, it's just a horrible thing. I just don't like it. You know where most of that battle is taking place? Right here in your mind, in my mind, in your head, in your head. And, and, and I wanted to share that because I think that's a lot to do with space in general. It's what gives us, when we can find space, we talk about making space. It's about making space in our heads, the mental freedom to be thoughtful in how we are living our lives, to have enough room to be able to give this thing some thought, some engagement. We make better choices when we perceive mentally or physically that we have space, room to breathe. Some people have referred to it over the years as margin. Do you have some margin in your life, in your time, in your money? Making space is all about that. The opposite of that is what? Pressure. Scrunch. Stress. 
Okay, now we're talking the language of Washington, D.C. Everything. Hurry. Why? So you can get stuck in the traffic. Why? So you can hurry to another meeting and be stuck in the… The pressure is all there. So this series that we're undertaking for the next several weeks is all about taking some steps to ensure that you are making space so that you can become the person God is calling you to be and whom I believe we want to be. That's that hunger in our souls. We want to have space. We want to have room. Some people refer to this as life stewardship, making space in our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as the Bible talks about how we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to make space in all of those areas, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your goals. See, that's what we're talking about with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your goals, your plans, your spiritual maturity, your gifts, your talents, your finances, all the areas of life, we need some space so that we are set free to live the lives the Scriptures, God through the Scriptures, is calling us to. And a part of that, what we're going to start with today, is making some space in our minds so that we can begin to understand our relationship with stuff, with money, with possessions, because when we don't, it affects our ability to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us in every area of our lives. So if you're saying, well, no, no, Pastor, no, that can't be right. Why would you start a series about making space by talking about money? Because after all, Pastor, aren't you the one who's always telling us there's more to life than money? And the answer to that is, yes, I am. There are many things more important than money in this world. But here's what I know on a practical level. In 21st century America, the truth is that there is almost no pressure like financial pressure. It's funny, you know, you lose something that's important to you, you try to find who, where's an agency that can help me, where's a company that can help me, where can I find help, but you owe $10 to somebody and don't pay it, I mean, buddy, there's a process. X number of calls, X number of emails, X number of things mailed to you, turn it over to a collection agency for 10 bucks. They lost 10 bucks the minute they engaged that, the services of that. What is that about? It's because in America, this is where pressure often starts. So think back to that airplane illustration for just a moment. I find it actually pretty easy to imagine on this morning of January 12th that many people in this room just might feel like they're stuck in the middle seat on the airplane of money management. We're trapped financially. We feel stuck. We can't ask anybody really that we expect to help us or to move for us or to give us some room. We kind of feel like we're in other people's way. We just can't manage it. And that impacts our ability to work, our ability to rest, our ability to even think clearly. We need to make some space in our mind. And for many of us, that's 
stuck feeling comes because we have money habits that have come from a lifetime, and in most people's cases, of both good and bad money lessons. So before I dive completely into the message, I want you to take just a moment, just a quick moment, and I want you to think about your earliest memory or your earliest influential memory that has to do with money. It might actually be money itself. It might be a favored possession that was lost or broken or whatever. It may be some way that status was conveyed to you. And I'm not asking you to think, you know, too hard, not, don't make a federal case out of it as we say, but can you think back to what your earliest memory about money is, how it affects you? And I'm not going to ask you to share that kind of private moment with somebody next to you, but you might, if you're taking notes today, you might just jot yourself enough words, two or three words in the corner to remind you, because this is part of what creates problems for us in having space. We are trapped by memories of things that have happened in the past. And if they're not good things, they especially can be oppressive. I'd tell you a couple for me. One, I remember when I finally convinced my dad that I wanted to participate in the offering at church. So he gave me a nickel. It it was, you know, 1967 or something like that. And I'm sitting in big church, and it was a a little country church with the wooden pews, a wooden floor, right, except for the little carpet right down the middle. And the plate comes along, and I have never put money in the plate, and I'm all excited. This is my first time to actually put money in the plate. And I take my nickel, and I kind of drop it toward the plate. And of course, from up here to the plate, you with me? It hit the edge, and falls to the floor. Now, that would be terribly embarrassing for somebody of six or seven years old, except that it landed on its edge, and it started to roll. And a coin on a hardwood floor. And of course, it couldn't roll two feet. I'm sitting near the back, and I'm telling you, that thing must have rolled all the way down front. And then that was it. No, that wasn't it. You know what happened right at the end. When it falls over, I mean, that, it felt like it took an hour for the, I was so, I knew I was going to hear it from my deacon dad when I got home. He had some mercy, but he did say, pay a little more attention next time. That's what, what that taught me. Here's a good lesson for everybody. Online giving online giving. There are instructions for that in your program and on our website for you people who are watching on the internet too, okay? That's one of the stories I remember. The one actually was more influential. I remember I started mowing lawns. You can, again, I'm a big guy. I was a big kid. So at age eight or so, I started mowing lawns with my older brothers and we would be paid. We had the funeral home. That was a big yard. That took several of us. And I remember as soon as I started bringing in money, my dad sat down with me and he taught me that there are three things that you should do with your money when you get paid. Yes, you can spend some of it because you worked hard and you earned the right to spend some of it. But you need to first give the first 10% to God. That's called a tithe. And so here I am, six, seven years old, being told, I guess seven or eight years old, being told, here's how you set aside. So I'm learning my math. 
How do you calculate 10%? How do you set it aside for God? The next thing dad did was he took me down to the savings and loan. And they gave me this miraculous thing called a passbook. It looked like a passport. You opened it up, and they manually entered the money that you contributed. This, you know, they're, none of them scan the check. Kind of, no, no, no. You bring the cash, hand it to the lady. Oh, they thought it was the cutest thing in the world to have this little eight-year-old boy climbing up. They had a little step there for short ones. And you climb up, hand them the money. They take the passbook, enter it in. That's, but what I learned about that from early on, you make decisions about money. You make them, and the sooner you make them, the better off you are, both in terms of how young you start, but also in terms of what you're thinking when you get the money. Because if you wait to the end of your money to start thinking about God, the money is already gone. That's one of the things my daddy taught me early on. So I just put those things out there. What kind of lessons? Early memories shape how we think about money and how much room we have. If you got positive, trustworthy money lessons, then those things help you not only financially, but I think they give you room to breathe and think about spiritual things as well. They give you room to think about the important things in the face of the pressures the world gives. Yes, with your money, there are bills to pay. There are things to be done. But when you have God in first place and in the right place, that changes the perspective on everything. Think about how your early memories are shaping you, how to balance your life. Now, fortunately, here's the good news. You might say, well, I didn't really have anybody teaching me that. The good news is that the Bible continues to guide us today. And what we want to do is learn from the wisdom of the Bible. Today, very quickly, I want to give you just two basic but very vital principles. Many of you will have heard me mention these before, but here's what I understand. It is possible to know the importance of something at a very basic level and still allow it to slip. Um, how many of you drive a, a gasoline-powered automobile? Would you raise your hand? All you electric people, you can just kind of be smug and keep your hand down. But, but, but the, the gas, yeah, okay. So wh what do we know that, that gasoline-powered cars need to run? Gas. Anybody ever run out of gas? Yeah, pretty basic lesson, put gas in the car, and yet, yet we managed to run out of gas. It's my experience with money management, you can talk about the most basic biblical things, but we sometimes forget to obey this. So I'm just going to put two of the most basic ones right up front today. Here's the first one. Here's how we can make some space in our minds uh, regarding our stewardship of our lives. It's by recognizing that everything belongs to God. Two of the most wonderful scriptures from the Bible. If you've not memorized these, I encourage you. Colossians 1.16. Don't ever think that Jesus was an afterthought and showed up after the fact. The Bible says that Jesus was present at creation. You go back and read Genesis 1. You go back and read John chapter 1. Or go and read Colossians 1. For by Him, this is Christ, by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Repeat that with me. All things. All things were created through Him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It goes well with Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So these passages make it very clear. God has made everything, therefore everything belongs to him. And what you and I have, what he has entrusted to us, is simply on loan from him. Which means we have a steward responsibility because when somebody loans something to you, it's understood you are going to return it to him or her. And this is all about God. God greatly cares about how we manage what he has entrusted to us. Even the talents, the skills that we have, they're not ours. They are gifts from God, and therefore, ultimately, they belong to him. Now, I I meet people all the time who kind of think, does God really? I mean, he really owns the money that I work for? I earned that money. It doesn't seem fair. But of course, when we think about it, when we understand that our ability to earn money, our our health, our strength, our minds, everything we have, they're only here because God has given them to us, because God opens doors, God gives gifts and abilities and opportunities. A way of thinking about it is that God has always been your silent partner, your key investor, The one who stands behind you and really provides every resource you need, it's God. He is that provider. He is that one. Whether we realized it in the moment or not, the fact is he's the provider. God owns everything, whether we had known it or not. And that's, see, the thing about this is that's really kind of good news for us because when we let it sink in, that we don't have to create it, we're not the number one provider, that God does that, it's our job to be a manager, that can be a relief. Now, it, it can be a problem for some of us when we think that, well, what God has entrusted us with is not sufficient. <laughs> it's not enough. And the truth is, when we're struggling, it's hard to think of the little bit that we have as a blessing. We think of it as a curse. Oh, it's just terrible. But there's a passage in Matthew that I find comforting in times like that. Here's what he says. So don't worry about these other things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, which means in a right relationship with God and with other people. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He will provide for you. Now see, if we can accept this idea that everything is God's, everything comes from God, he provides for us, that begins to make some space for me to live in gratitude for what I have instead of feeling oppressed by what I don't have. Did that sink in with anybody? See, we get space. When we are concerned about what we don't have, we get all bound up and all stressed. But when we realize that everything we have is a gift from God, 
It begins to make room for gratitude, for appreciation, for what an honor it is to be entrusted with something by God. It's, it's both humbling and empowering to acknowledge that we are not the owners of our possessions, we're just the managers. So the first key to making space is to embrace the truth that everything in my life actually belongs to God first and has only been entrusted to me. That's the first key. The second key is simply this, that God wants you, God wants me to be a good manager of that which He's in. He didn't just entrust it to us for us to be flip about it. He has entrusted it to us, and He wants us to be a good manager. I love this passage from Proverbs 27. Riches can disappear fast. Wow. Turn to the person closest to you and say, just say, that's true. That's true. See, because if you say amen, that means may it be so, and we don't want it to be so. We don't want all your riches to disappear. We just want to admit it's true. We want to agree with God, confess with our lips. He understands exactly. Riches can disappear fast. So what does he say to do? So watch your business interests, your financial interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. Now, I'm sure many of you went out and checked your flocks and herds this morning, right? If, if, if you ever, if, I tell you this, if you ever had dairy cows, you, you got up. That's an early morning thing. You, you knew the state of the herd pretty early on because you get up while it's still dark. Now, for us, it doesn't matter whether it's flocks and herds or whether it's checking accounts and savings accounts and investment accounts and retirement accounts, all that stuff. And after talking about all these accounts, can I get an amen? God, God doesn't call us all to be accountants. Amen. See, that's the right time to say amen. Thank God for good accountants. I don't want to be one. I'm thankful for the ones and the folks who are, and we're blessed. But boy, we don't all have to be accountants, but the Bible does say that all of us will give an account for what has been entrusted to us. Boy, when you start thinking about that, where, where, how do you give an account? Well, you know, on a bank statement, they give it at the bottom line, right? You, you ever in your life been worried to see what the bottom line was in your checking account? I have. I've been there. There's a time or two in our lives where we, where we hadn't been there recently, thank you, Jesus, but, but it's, it's a stressful thing. Here's the thing. That's not where God has called us to live is in fear of this bottom line, being afraid to know. The first step in becoming good stewards, in becoming good managers of our lives and our resources, those resources that who has entrusted to us? God, right? The first step of being a good manager is knowing what those resources are. Knowing what has been entrusted to you on a spiritual level, it might be your spiritual gifts. It's your time. It's the talents that God has given you. On a financial level, it's knowing where your money comes from and where your money is going to. And when we talk about being good stewards of something, people say, what does that really mean to be a good steward? That's, to, that's the sense of, I hope that one day, I, I trust, I believe that one day I'll be able to stand before God and I want to hear him say, well done. 
well done, good and faithful servant, with what I entrusted to you. That's where that phrase comes from in the Bible, the story of the different folks who were entrusted with things they had to give an account for. That's what we all want. And can we just say this? I keep talking about our lives and our resources. Do you know what the first step of good stewardship is? It's giving your life to the one who gave his life for you. You see, the word Lord, when the Bible says we're to receive Jesus as our Lord, that word, amongst other translations, can be translated boss, the one in charge. There is a yielding to the master. And so the first step of good stewardship is to realize this life I have received is not my own. It belongs to God. So I receive Christ as Lord. I commit to learning and following from Him because that's what it means. That's the first act of good stewardship. Your money is the least of your problems, my friends. It starts with giving our lives to Christ and acknowledging Him as Lord. Then the next step is to learn to be a good steward of the gifts, of the resources that He's entrusted to us. And on this subject, all of us can learn to do better. And when I talk about being a good steward and managing your money, managing your resources, it goes far beyond being good with numbers. I meet Christians all the time and say, well, you know, that's not really my bag. I'm not good at that. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, it's not about being good with numbers or having an entrepreneurial spirit or, or oh, I can grasp what a hedge fund does. If you can, you're ahead of me. That, that, it, that's tough. It's not about that. That's not what I'm talking about. Being a good manager of what God has entrusted to us is simply something we need to grow in every day, improving. God gives wisdom and guidance in the Scriptures so that we can learn to be a good manager of that which He has given to us of the provision. Here's what I've discovered. Most of the time when I start getting antsy about stuff, not most of the time, all the time, God has provided what I need. I'm just not seeing it right, or I'm not using it right. That's been one of the really big lessons in life. Now, to be a good manager of anything in your life, whether it's your health, your career, your money, your family, and all of those things are part of our stewardship. Whatever those things are, you have to begin with an honest evaluation. You, you have to begin by understanding where you are in your current situation you have to do a little bit of analysis. So here's where we put our thinking caps on. I'm not asking you all to pull out your phones and dial up your account balance and show it to me today that we're not that kind of a church. I want to talk about how we understand ourselves in our minds, right? That's where I said the battle is. How do we understand about our financial situation? How do we feel about that? So real quickly, I'm going to put some options up here on the screen. When you think about your finances, which of the following options fits where you are? Option one, I require financial assistance to get by. Is that where you're living right now? You, you need help from somebody else to get by? Option two, I'm struggling to keep up with day-to-day -day expenses. I, I'm doing it, but boy, it's, it's, it's hard work. That's option two. Is that where you're living? Number three, I'm fully able to make ends meet, and that, that's great. That's great. Option four, I'm able to make ends meet and have some left over. Oh, 
Starting to get, oh, feeling better all the time. And then number five, I have more than I need for myself and my family. Now, those are just, those are five options. We, I didn't put any dollar figures on those. You know, that, that's what I, not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to tell you, there's always different options for how we understand and feel about where we are financially. And, and, and I want to keep these up for just a minute. If, if you're in number one, I have no interest today in you feeling guilty or ashamed. Absolutely. Because you know something? I have lived at every single one of these options at some time in my life, more than once. Most of the people in this room have. Times when you've struggled, times when you've just barely made it, times when you had a little bit left over, times when you thought, man, I'm at peace, I'm so grateful. And, and, and half the time, people are surprised. I, I've had people tell me, I, I, I struggled all my working career, but now that I'm retired, I'm, I'm living better than I ever expected. I've had other people say, I got to retirement, I had not planned well, it's tough, but I'm hanging in. It, it, it's not about an age thing. Now, obviously, when you're young, it, it, very often you're an option one, but it can be anywhere across the map. There are all kinds of reasons. I want you to hear me clearly. I don't care which option you are in. There is no shame or guilt that you should necessarily feel for being in one as opposed to the other. There, there's just no clear saying that. But the reason I put these up here, this is why we have that phrase in English, knowledge is power. Because with any situation, understanding where you are is always the beginning point. Whether you're fighting addiction, and you have to own that, right? That's what AA always starts with, right? This is, I have to admit, I am an alcoholic. My name is Bill. Here we go. It's that way with almost anything in our lives. Knowing accurately where we are is important for any fresh start. So if you want a fresh start in 2020, that's great. Let me suggest the first thing you do is take a good evaluation of where you are. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, educationally for some folks, occupationally, you're wrestling with a decision. Start with where you are. And here's why. It's not just an exercise. Acknowledging where we are means that we're able for a moment to get some space and to focus in on what we have in our lives, what is present, and what we need in our lives so that we can create some realistic goals that we can live in with gratitude instead of always being in a negative bad place. Before we leave the options list, I want to say this too. There are a lot of people who look at this and think, oh, well, if I could just get to option five, all my problems would be solved. And I can just tell you, every option five person that I know in this church would tell you that that's not how it works. <laughs> Having sufficient financial resources does not mean all your problems are solved. And even if we today gave money away and put everybody in option five, you know how much good that does? Almost none. Because if you don't understand how and why and what it takes to get there, the odds of you staying there are not good. Okay? So don't get tricked by thinking, oh, if I could just, if I could just win the lottery. We all have heard so many stories about lottery people who end up bankrupt again. 
who waste it, squander it, end up in prison, you name it. So understanding, this is so important. So if we are fearful, if we're struggling, it's like that story of the servant who had the one talent. You remember that story from the Bible? And he took it, what did he do? He buried it in the ground because he was afraid. And, and that's, that's what happens. If we don't know where we are, if we don't understand where we're living, we tend to get fearful. Or maybe you're in a season where you need to grow, right? You need to grow. So here's what happens. If, you, if you're that one who takes it and buries that little bit you've got in the ground because you're afraid of losing it, here's what you need this year and what I'm praying for you in 2020 that you will learn to work wisely, and that you will learn to trust God more and not be afraid. Fear not. It's a terrible way to live no matter how much resources you've got. People who are in option five but who are afraid, it's misery. It's misery. Maybe you're in a season where you're not in option one, you're in option three or four, There are lessons all the way along. If you're still dependent on somebody else, there's that humility that comes with that. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. Sometimes we need to be humbled. Sometimes we need to learn what it is to build a relationship where we can receive the help of family or friends or our church or seeking opportunities in the community. It's part of life together. And if you're fortunate enough to be in option five, here's here's the challenge you face. How do I live so that possessions don't own me, but I own them? So knowing where we are is the first step in getting to be where God wants us to be, manage well. So those are the two lessons for today. God owns it all. God wants us to be good managers. What we're going to work on over the coming weeks is how to do that better and better. Financially, spiritually, emotionally, we're going to be looking at all those things. Let me just mention to you before I close today, one of the ways that we want to try to help you make space, particularly in the area of finances, is how to manage that part of your life. And so one of the things we do is offer Financial Peace University from time to time. And we're looking at launching a new course of that in the next month or so. So I want to mention that now you can be thinking about it. Another way to grow in your financial stewardship, the Right Now Media that Jonathan introduced. You have a special card. There are a number of financial classes in that. You might say, I only have time from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. to work on that. Then do that. Once a week, whatever. Make use of the resources that are available to you. And remember this, please, before you leave today, why we are talking about this. As we get better at managing our finances, it helps us find breathing room for things that are bigger than that. It creates more space. And that space can be used as an opportunity for all the other areas of our lives to flourish. If I just had more time, if I just had more energy, part of that is learning where we are and creating, making space. So that's going to be my prayer. I'm going to ask you now to join with me in a word of prayer as we close for today. Lord, it's just my request to you, O God, as the one who is the provider, the giver of every gift, everything we have, every good and perfect gift. Help us to better understand. You are the owner. You are the provider of everything, and we are simply managers of all the things we have in our lives. I pray, O God, that over these coming weeks as we study your word together, that you will help us to understand more and more what it means to be a good and faithful manager of what you have entrusted to us. And I ask, O God, that you help us today as we leave this place, that we leave here grateful 
grateful for the provision, whether we're in option one or in option five, that we're grateful for what you are providing, that we leave here filled with joy, not because all of our circumstances are easy, but because we know that you are the Lord of our lives and we can trust you to provide what we really need. Help us to leave here today, O God, walking in peace that comes from knowing that you own everything and we can trust you in that. Help us to make even more space for you and your ways in our lives in 2020. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.